I kind of went through and just picked in the release order a couple things from each month that that struck me. Okay. If nothing else, we get to say Crocodile Dundee 2 a couple times, and that's exciting, too. Oh, did that come out that summer, too? That was counter-programming to Willow, so yes. Oh, <laughs> amazing. Amazing. I don't have any notes for that, but I have some memories I don't think anybody it. does. I, I can't, I've, I've been asking around for notes on Crocodile Dundee 2. Got none. Hey everyone ever, and welcome to 20th Century Popcast, the show where we try to understand the present while living in the past. My name is Tim Blevins. Uh, my co-host Bob Canning is still on uh, summer vacation. I'm sure there's some probably radio banter I could do with that, but instead, um, in his place here on the show, a returning guest um, that you can hear. You can hear him if you haven't already on uh, the Cosmic Geppetto podcast. Uh, you produce, and I think you sometimes appear on the Flash Gordon Minute, and on episode 60 of uh, this very show, uh, my co-host today, do you want to you introduce yourself here? Would that work out? Of course. Thanks for having me back, Tim. My name's Jarf, and I had a lot of fun last time, so I was really happy to come back and talk about the movies of the summer of 1988. Oh, thanks, man. That, that, that was actually a very good byline. I would just like finding people who are actually happy to be on the show, so thank you. But uh, yeah, I'm glad you're back. Um, so when this episode airs, like, like you just said, we're going to be talking about the summer, talking about the summer of 1988. The uh, summer will actually... Technically, we all know it starts around the 21st or something, but um, in like middle school and high school, I gauged the summer by, uh, by movies, like blockbuster movies, and, and this excitement for big films. You know, I hated the heat of the summer, I hated the beach of the summer, um, but I loved like the dark movie theater of the summer. Did you, did you go to a lot of movies growing up? Or were movies a big part of, did you see things on the big screen? Was that a big part of how you experienced movies? It wasn't like I oh. would go to a, at at this time in my life. So eighty eight, I would have been fourteen. So my age is out there, but that's okay. I, I, I a lot of math nerds listening to the right. show. They'll figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> so, but we would see we would see maybe two or three movies a year in the theaters. So a lot of these, uh, a lot of the movies that I looked at that came out the summer of. 88. A couple of them I know that I saw in the theater that summer. Most of them I saw when they came out on VHS. And, and a couple of them were really big movies for me that, that we own the tape. And so I, I saw them maybe later that year or the next year, whenever they came out, and then watched them over and over and over again. Yeah, and no, I feel like the majority of movies I saw probably were on VHS. Were you aware of movies coming out, though? Like, did, did the idea of a summer movie, summer release schedule, was that something that was even on your radar back then? At different times of the year, different movies come out? I feel like that came later for me mm -hmm. probably not until college when i was oh. when i was more independent and and starting to follow movies that were coming out with the exception of the indiana jones like the the, the last crusade or the last crusade yeah, yeah. Sure. so i i have a very distinct memory of seeing that in the theater um, when it came out 
and and clear memories around that and and i think that came out in the summer so it did it came out actually it would, would come out in the summer of 1989 and uh, bob and i had talked last year actually 1989 was the summer that we talked about last year and that was sort of the first summer where i was aware of blockbusters and last crusade was actually sort of the gatekeeper for that like i just remember the promotional push for summer movies like i remember all the ads on tv i remember the build up the posters I don't know. I think some of it's because it's tied into getting out of school, but summer just seemed like a big time for movies to me. But it sounds like that wasn't the same, didn't resonate with you the same way. It wasn't this idea of summer movies are big and the rest of the year is smaller, artsy puppet movies or something like that. You know, now that you mentioned the advertising and the merch, I do remember whatever year License to Drive came out, <laughs> I remember like a huge push around that, and specifically that my theater was giving out License to Drive keychains with a little miniature picture of the poster for the movie. Miniature picture Hayman. of giant heads, I think. It's Corey <laughs> Haim exactly. and Corey Feldman. Corey Haim yeah. and Corey Feldman. And... and and their cheesy 80s sunglasses. And and I loved that keychain. Like, I, for some reason, I... You weren't driving at that time, were you? You weren't actually behind the wheel of a car. No, not until 17. I, I got into a disagreement with the teacher, who was also our driver's ed instructor, and he refused to, to give me, like, the required instruction so i had to i had to wait an extra year until i could take my driver's license and you were just sitting there with an awesome keychain i'm so sorry (laughs) exactly (laughs) so there is this idea i guess of promotional push and merchandise push at least there was for me it sounds like strangely the movie that hit that for you is one that is actually a smaller movie but i remember the ads for it i remember music videos for it um, and so that was 1988. So why don't we jump in? What sort of kicked that off, sort of the start of the summer of 1988, um, was one of the movies that you actually mentioned right away uh, when we were talking. It was a fantasy film directed by Ron Howard, uh, Willow. Are you a fan of, am I right to say you're a fan of the movie Willow? Definitely a fan of Willow. Did you see it in the theater? I didn't see it in the theater. Um, I would have seen that on VHS, but that was that was one of those tapes that I wore out. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm now really into comic book adaptations, superhero movies, as well as other genre movies. But before I really got into comic books at all, fantasy was was my original jam. That was that was the genre fiction that I read the most, mm-hmm. and so. Willow was just huge for me at that time. And let's dig in and talk about it a little bit. Sure. Because I have to say, like, I I remember it coming out because even at that age, being a huge Star Wars fan, I knew George Lucas's name. And George Lucas's name was attached to this movie as producer, executive producer. Uh, Warwick Davis, the... uh, the actor who had portrayed Wicket, one of the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi, was the main star. There were swords, there were dragons. It seemed to be a movie that I that I remember having this feeling. It's like, I should like this movie. Like, I remember the beautiful poster art. I remember the commercials. I remember the little toys. Like, one thing I did have of this movie were these little metal figurine toys that I made it a point to buy at the Caldor's department store as a kid because it just felt like these are toys of a George Lucas movie. I like it. But I got to be honest, I don't remember this movie that well. I've seen it once. I don't go back to it. I don't hear it talked about, but this, how did it, 
how did it strike you then? Because it sounds like it's important to you. Do you find there's a fandom for Willow? I'm not sure how big the fandom for Willow is. Uh, and I, as I was, I didn't go back and watch it recently just in preparation to talk about it tonight. It's actually hard to find. It's a very hard movie to track down, I find. Like, I don't think it's on Blu-ray. It's not streaming anywhere that I could see. And, and from just researching it, 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 I know that when, the next time I watch it, they'll there'll be things that I still love and there'll be things that I say, oh, I didn't remember that. Ugh. Mm-hmm. It's clear to me that I was 15 years old or so and I was picking and choosing the things that I thought were awesome and then just not caring about the things that fell flat. So there, it was enough for me that it had this a really compelling lead. Warwick Davis is so good in this movie. He, he, he's just, he's good natured and, and you really root for him. And then Val Kilmer is great too. It's just this like roguish warrior who's lost his way. Playing Mad Mardigan, I believe is the character. And I did like mm-hmm. that character, but and maybe we should talk about just Willow and Willow representing the summer of 1988, <laughs> because do you find that, have, are there other fans that you talk about Willow with? Is this a movie that has a shared fandom? Because I watched it by myself on VHS tape. I played with the toys by myself and I just never, you're the first person I've spoken to this century, probably who saw and is talking about willow how did, did you find it had a fan base that you could talk to because or was it more just a private viewing experience for you well we touched on this when when i was back on your show before and we were talking about the nature of fandom and my own experience with it and so a lot of this is dictated by the fact that i grew up in this very small town and so my circle of friends was small because we lived out in the middle of nowhere. So basically, there was me, there was my kid brother, Greg, and there was my best friend, Jason Partner. And we all liked Willow, and and that was basically all I knew. Like, you know, what are we going to do? It's raining, it's Sunday, we can't go to the, to the pool, let's watch Willow again. And then, you know, if it stops raining enough, then we'll go run around in the woods and we'll make up our own Willow characters. So, I mean... So, so it was a big saga for you then. I I don't mean to be seeming so shocked by this. I, I'm not... I th- Willow is probably a well-made movie. I just... It seems to me that Willow should have been this blockbuster of a film, that it should have kicked off a franchise. I know that there's novel, novel sequels to it, a series of books that follows it, but I just feel like... George Lucas's name, fantasy, swords, all of this should have been things that scream summer movie spectacular. And yet, I feel like this movie really came and went quickly. Like, to think about 1988, when I thought that's what we we're going to talk about, I have a list of movies. The reason Willow's on this on this list is because it was the first one to come out at the start of the summer. And I'm just wondering, where is the fandom for Willow? Where Where is the fandom for fantasy movies in the 80s, I guess, too. Because were there other sword-based, dragon-based films that were kind of doing well in the 80s? Well, let me pick up the first part of your question, which is, is it a well-made movie? I'm not so sure that the answer is yes. Just as I was researching it again, there there's a ton of 
comedy that just falls flat. If one calls Kevin Pollock comedy, yes. There's a ton of flat comedy. That's... <laughs> and, and I don't know if you remember, but there's this whole bit where Val Kilmer's character, Mad Morgan, he's trying to evade some people that are chasing him. He, he disguises himself as a woman. And then there is a, a burly guy at the bar who thinks he really is a woman. And so they go for a lot of cheesy... Benny Hill kind of comedy. Oh my god, it is Benny Hill. Which is just unnecessary. And so at 15, I just didn't care. It's like you kind of tune in and tune out and you tune back in where it's like, oh, this is a cool character moment. Or especially, oh, like this is an awesome action sequence. And Are there awesome ex- like uh, I, cool moments? Make sense. I remember Mad Mardigan. I remember the look of General. Is it Kyle with the big skull face and the black cape? Like I remember the look of him. Yes, actually, I wanted to talk about the costume design. Sure, because that that's something that does hold up. It, okay, so that he's he should be an iconic looking character because that's a striking. You want to describe him and talk about him a little bit because I think that's a great looking character that has no backstory that I can remember. Absolutely. So, shout out to the costume designer Barbara Lane. So she mm-hmm. won a Saturn Award for the costume design on Willow. She would go on to win an Emmy for the miniseries War and Remembrance. She doesn't have a ton of credits outside of that, but the, this being a fantasy period piece, it, it's a demanding costume movie. Sure. And, and everything everything looks authentic, and then the more colorful characters, like General Kale, look fantastic. Like that, he was a big part of what captured my imagination in this movie he Me is too. a way better skeletor than <laughs> than any version of skeletor live action or animated well so he, he should be except the and this was i remember in the movie the first thing that kind of shook me was here's this cool character design and in an early scene where you see him he flips it up and it's just a mask and there's a man under that mask <laughs> Is a hu- a bearded human guy isn't it, if i'm remembering right yeah you are remembering it right but that's what I like about it. Oh, so really? I, I looked for the purpose of comparison, the way that they handled Skeletor in the Masters of the Universe, Masters of the Universe like flop of a movie. <laughs> and some people kind of give credit to the monster special effects, and it is it's hard to achieve that look. But what they achieved just looks really cheesy. So it, it's. They went for this gaunt, skeleton-like monster face. Mm. But I think it's much cooler to just conceive of Skeletor as he wears a a scary skull fright mask. Really? Oh, because I... Because this is maybe why Willow, the, the issue I have is like that it's something fantastic is a creature made of bone, a terrifying creature, a skeleton. I mean, that's a scary image. Skeletor, not so much because he's more sarcastic and he's got purple toes that I don't There's something about him that's very cartoony. He's but, also jacked like that. If you if you look at a toy of Skeletor or Skeletor mm-hmm. from the cartoon, 
he keeps in very good shape with with the rest of his fleshy body. I don't understand. So apparently he has was like a human body with flesh and and, and bone, but only just his head is a skull. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> but it, it, and I don't know if it. And again, I guess it's what is the target audience. I don't know if it has to make sense. I just is it General Kale? Kyle, how is it pronounced in the Willow movie? I don't know. I was thinking Kale. And I agree with you that it doesn't have to make sense with when it's a cartoon, because that is part of the beauty of cartoons. You can do more abstraction. So I think that the design of Skeletor... Well, I mean, to be honest, the the reason they designed Skeletor that way in the cartoon is because that's the way the toy was designed. Sure. It's a and terrifying toy. That's a cool... I don't know if you're a fan of Master Universe. That's a nice-looking figure. The, the, the color scheme is cool. The purple-blue is terrifying. And just... I, I remember all the old comic books. Like He was a creepy-looking villain, at least in drawings. Animation, it changes a little bit. But like there is something diabolical about that skull, because it's, 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 it's featureless and yet a terrifying face at the same time. Totally creepy. I totally agree. It's, it's a great design. I... This is revealing about me, but can I tell you the thing that I was obsessed about, about the Masters of the Universe line of toys? Please do, and I hope it's Orko, but if not, I understand. Because <laughs> I love magic, and I hate feet. Yeah. That, 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 should be, that should be your tagline right there. <laughs> I love magic, and I hate feet. And he hates feet. No, so one of the, one of the kids that I knew had a pretty extensive collection of Master of the Universe toys. So I was able to do a lot of comparison and, and contrasts. And I was really interested in all of the times that the toy designers repurposed a design from one character and used it for another character. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's a lot of that in that line, actually. Skeletor has an... And actually, please say what you're going to say, because I have an interesting thing to throw in there that got me to Skeletor as well. But what were you going to say? It's, so I, it's something that clearly you've noticed as well. Like Moss Man and Beast Man, they're the exact same mold, just different colors. And and I, I always like to kind of sort out the toys and see where they're... It's like a mild OCD thing. See where those matches are and think about, oh, that was smart of them. And so they were, they kind of got to reuse that design. So you're design focused. That's awesome. Yeah. So they should have me as a guest on the toys that made us. Right. <laughs> Just talking about repurposed Skeletor feet. Because remember, his feet <laughs> and Zodak's feet were the same. His uh, crossbone, I love his chest piece crossbone. Faker, the blue He-Man robot, had the same thing, but it was orange. Like, that's what got me into it. When noticing that, I'm like, it made these things emblematic. Like, I feel like the repetition in the Masters Universe line sort of built a world. Like, the fact that different people's armor looked similar made sense to me. Beastman and Mossman looking similar was, it's like, okay, that's how creatures evolve on that planet. Like, I like that, that attention to design. I don't know. I... It's it. Part of it is, and I think I don't think I was thinking this directly, but I do know like I liked those similarities because there was a shared world in that to a degree. And to to, to look at Willow for a minute, this General Kale f- character, high in protein, I'm sure, 
was such a striking image in all the posters and the design of it. And just, I loved it like that. I had a little figurine of him that I carried with me for 15 years. I would put it on my desk because it looked so awesome. I barely know that movie. And I guess this is the thing. This movie should be epic. You know, it should have been the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy of the 80s because this design, this look and this world... I think everyone, and this is how it was promoted at the time, it was going to be like George Lucas is going to do for fantasy what he did for you know space with Star Wars. Like this could have been a kickstart of another trilogy, and, and I don't have the attachment to it. Mm-hmm. And but I but I think the design of it is beautiful and memorable. That's why I'm just I'm wondering. Like it sounds like it was a big deal for you. Willow was a movie you kept going back to. Like, what do you think of it, though, now? Like, to sit here and think of Will, like, what are the first couple of thoughts that come to mind for you? What are the memorable things that immediately come to mind? What immediately comes to mind is like the interplay between Val Kilmer and Warwick Davis. So, so Warwick Davis, like I said, he, like, he's good-natured. He's got you root for. And then Val Kilmer, like, he's lost his way. And so the comedy that works is when Val Kilmer is being a jackass to to Willow, and and then Willow is starting to push back against him, and eventually, Mad Mardigan's arc is kind of reconnecting with being a hero, but along the way they have this like. Val Kilmer keeps calling him names, and there's just good classic comedy. Do they keep the calling two. him Peck? Yes. Is that okay. Yes. And so it, the, Peck is some kind of slur. Yeah, I was going to um, say, was that offensive? For, but it's in the fantasy world, so I think it's okay. It's, well, I think in the context of the movie, like it is offensive to Willow because he says, "Don't call me Peck," and so and then because Mad Markin is an asshole, once he realizes, oh, this is something that upsets you, now I'm going to say it over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. Is he, does, is he in a cage? When he first comes across Mad Mardigan, is he hanging in a cage? That image is in my head. That's a great scene. That feels very like old medieval night story. You encounter this Mad Mardigan man like trapped in a cage. That's, that, that should be a memorable introduction, and the image of it is in my head right now. That is because he's shouting it from inside... The, the 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 cage so that's great and he's got to try to charm his way out of it so you're right that that should be an iconic scene that people remember val kilmer is good in this movie right i think mm-hmm. so like i think this is the movie that made me really like him for a period because i think he's great in this but something for me i'm wondering what's missing like what the ingredients are there. I mean, the visual design. I, I'm comparing it in my head to Star Wars, but I'm also kind of right now comparing it to the Han Solo movie that just came out because it's the same director, Ron Howard. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering what's what's the disconnect. And this is just supposition. And it's not very fair, but I'm wondering, is there something inherently in what Ron Howard does as a director? Because I enjoyed Solo. I liked the movie Solo. I, I it, it's, it was fun, and it didn't stick with me. <laughs> it looked cool, right. but did you did you like it? Did you see Solo in the theater? It's, I did just see Solo last weekend, and and I thought I thought it was fun and it was fine. It, it didn't stick with me either, like, like Cotton Candy. I, I it didn't give me reasons to hate on it. No, it's, um, but it. 
and it didn't disappoint me because I didn't go into high expectations. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't go into it with high expectations. But I, shouldn't you? I mean, that's the thing. Like, And I think Willow works this way, too. Low expectations are going to be good. Shouldn't these movies be high on our list? I mean, this is a Han Solo origin story. This is, in Willow's case, a massive new world. I think it's another planet, right? Willow takes place on another planet, or is it Earth in medieval times? Well, that's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. For some reason, I remember there's a period where it was somehow in the Star Wars expanded universe, so maybe it is another planet. I forget that how. That sounds like a fan fiction that someone would it write. It does. It's very hard to distinguish sometimes fan fiction from, I guess, Star Wars fact. But these things should be, we should go in with high expectations, shouldn't we? Like, shouldn't Solo have been a big deal? I guess that's what I'm not struggling with. But the same with Willow, it's kind of like, these things should seem bigger than maybe they are. They should be bigger than these quaint little, like, Solo was perfectly enjoyable and I had fun. And it looked, you know, the designs, the set design looked great. The costume design looked great. But ultimately, two weeks on, I've, I never think about it. Right. I think it's okay for it to just be fun. Mm-hmm. I think that it, it ju- sometimes what you think you want is not going to be the most fulfilling thing. So if something isn't a new, fresh story, there's only so impactful it can be. A- and Solo has a lot of things that are, are great just as a part of Solo and then are promising for what they could lead to. Specifically, I'm thinking about Donald Glover as Lando mm-hmm. and give me a Lando so Lando st- standalone movie. Sure. And then I'm really excited. Besides it having some tropes that I am really tired of seeing, like women that aren't given anything interesting to do and or are killed off for no reason other than to give the men in the movie their motivation. Ooh, spoiler for most uh, mill-written fantasy there, but okay. <laughs> so, other than that, there weren't things that made me mad about it. It just was like, felt a little bit unnecessary, but it was still fun. And I guess fun, you're right, fun is good in a movie. And honestly, it's almost better, I think, like you were talking about how, you know, it'd be, it would be cool to have a Lando movie. At the same time, I'd like to get back in the mindset maybe where I could think also that, well, Solo is a one-time film. That should be fine, too, because it was fun. I was happy to sit in that theater. I was happy I spent the money. And I feel like Willow, maybe that is what Willow was. I just, I don't have that experience with it. And it's odd to me. I don't know. I think because of the pedigree of George Lucas's name, because of some of that beautiful design, because of the, the I just the poster. I, I have such vivid memories of the Willow poster, this beautiful, I don't know if it's Drew Struzan. I don't, I'm not sure who, who painted it, but it's this beautiful, classic-looking, one-sheet movie poster. All these elements portray a movie that was going to be more epic than I, I got out of it. But I, at the same time, I feel like it should have just been fun. But I have no – it's just weird to me. I have no memory of this movie that I had toys for. No memory of this movie that I could talk – you know, at that age, I could talk about – I knew who George Lucas was. I knew who Ron Howard was. I could actually talk about and had a sense – Willow might have been the first movie where I had a sense of, oh, the person who made this makes important movies. 
like knowing that name by that point, watching all this behind the scenes stuff. I remember Nickelodeon had a half hour making of Willow special that I watched and all that seemed fascinating to me. And yet the movie itself, I wonder if I'm just incapable of letting a fantasy movie, a George Lucas movie, just be simple fun. And inherently is that, I don't know, is that a problem for enjoying something? Like you, you, you had no qualms with Solo just being fun, right? Or because you went in with low expectations, which I don't understand for a Star Wars movie. How do you have low expectations? Well, I think it's because I saw it pretty late in its run. And so I had already, I was trying to avoid spoilers, but I was already kind of catching some of the non-spoiler responses so i i had taken a temperature of it okay, and i had an idea of of what it was going to be and what it wasn't going to be and then i i thought of a question for you so do you think that you would appreciate willow more if george lucas's name wasn't attached to it like does that kind of set it up too high on a pedestal for you to be able to say like hey it was a wild fantasy movie from the late 80s and yeah i don't think it would have been on my radar if his name wasn't on it maybe with the toys but it's like i didn't grow up seeing dragon slayer which is another fantasy movie i keep thinking of from the 80s i'm sure there are other ones that i can't even think to mention them i mean i played dungeons and dragons so i love that game but i don't think i was actually the biggest fan of the genre. I didn't seek it out. I mean, I get He-Man toys and the He-Man cartoon came closest, but fantasy didn't grasp me. So yeah, if I, it's odd to me at that age, even if George Lucas's name wasn't attached to it, this movie would have gone right past me. I think, I think you're right. And I had never, you know, that's a good question. Cause it's, it's odd though. It's odd that that, that age <laughs> I was focused on this. I mean, I, I must've been looking for star Wars because otherwise I mean, I didn't run out to see Tucker, A Man in His Dreams, which came out this summer, and George Lucas produced that. But I just, I think you're right. And that's weird. That's unfair to the movie, to a degree. But it's also just, that's a weird mindset for a 12-year-old, I think. Because, like, you came to it. Did you have any tempered expectations when you finally saw it? Did you have any expectations when you finally saw it as a kid? Well... To be honest, I think that I saw this before I saw Star Wars. So this wasn't at all influenced by Star Wars fan. Wait, how old were you when you saw this? So I was probably 15 because I probably saw it like the year after it came out. I apologize because you have probably gotten this question before. How did you go 15 years eight of them in the 80s without having seen <laughs> Star Wars. And this, is a, this isn't a judgment. It must sound that way. This is an honest question because I, I feel like Star Wars was so saturated <laughs> into what I thought being a child was. How had you not seen Star Wars at that point? It's a good question. So Star Wars came out in the, the mid-70s, right? Yes, so, 77. So I was, I was too young to see it when it came out in theaters. And then, and then there was a while there where there wasn't great access to movies on VHS. So growing up, we never had cable. And since we lived in such a remote area, there, it was a long time till, till there was any place where you could rent movies. 
But did I you have like the comics or the books, the books on tape? None of that was was igniting that for you. It was just the movie itself, I guess. It's, I I think I probably saw them out of order. I think I saw Return of the Jedi first, and and once once I dipped my toe into it, then there were a lot of other things, some that Jason had that we shared. He he had the soundtrack on vinyl and and i think that we had some books on tape as well yeah because that's how i kind of revisited and actually i remember the willow book on tape to be honest i do remember that oh i should try to find that yeah you can find a lot of those on youtube people do post them but um maybe just to make sense of willow and again i know we were going to talk about the summer of 88 but i think talking about this is interesting to me because you came to willow and what was it, I guess, to, 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 to sum it up, what brought you to the, you got it from a video store. What drew you to it the day that you wa- brought it home to watch? It was probably enough that it was a fantasy because we would, we would check out like any kind of fantasy or horror. But I think why I remember it is because it's a mix of those other elements, even though a ton of the comedy falls flat and only some of it works. When I think about other fantasy from that same time, a lot of fantasy from that era, from the 70s, before it, they play it completely straight. And that has never resonated with me. So, like, my favorite from around this time is Princess Bride. Okay. Are these similar movies, would you say, Willow and Princess Bride? Princess Bride is a much, much better version of what Willow is trying to be. Really? Willow wants to be a comedy and wants to be a fairy tale. Yes. I think they were going for epic, and uh, there's comedy in Star Wars, too. And so I think they thought, oh, oh you know, people really like when there are these, like, jokey characters but then they are they called they have, brownies is that what yes. they're called okay so they're like fairies miniature people but they do it in that way that that never works where you have a character <laughs> who is solely there for comic relief mm-hmm. contrast it with star wars c3po is really funny in star wars but he also serves a function sure. in the narrative. Thank you, by the way. C-3PO is my favorite character, and he gets the shaft from everyone. People hate C-3PO. That's terrible. He's so funny. I think so, and he's so important, and he's also just so neurotic. Yeah, no, he, he's a vital character, but that's a good point. He also is necessary to all three of the movies, but I think mainly in the first one. And you're right. So these other comical characters were just there to laugh at? They're, that... they're just there to do voices that are supposed to be funny voices, to hide under somebody's chair and poke them with a fork. It's, <laughs> a it's, tiny you know, fork. Right. Now, I think it's actually, I might be conflating a couple of things. This <laughs> like might that. actually be in Army of Darkness. I'm remembering a, bu- a bunch of miniature people all holding one fork. Yeah, I think that is Army. Oh, I don't know. Okay. No, but, <laughs> we'll we'll you know mash that... that up with Willow, and I think you have a proper combat against uh, the Princess Bride. Yes, but I think you're right. I guess I never. that's an interesting comparison, because I could see Mad Mardigan, and I could see Carrie Elwes' character. Who's the, love in, the male 
love interest in Princess Bride. What's his name? <laughs> I can't even think of it. The Swordsman. Right, right. The Dread Pirate Roberts. Yeah, so he they're very similar characters. You're correct. Mm-hmm. And I guess there is a love interest in Willow. Is it Sorsha or something? Sorsha. Like, yeah. Yes. So fun fact about Sorsha. I, so I revisited Willow, you know, after I moved to Philly mm-hmm. and, and one of the times that I was watching it, one of my friends shared, Hey, Oh, I always loved Sor- Sorsha. When I used to be a dancer, that was my stage name. <laughs> oh, so really? Now, now I always think of that in terms of Sorsha. Oh, that's, so it impacted someone. Yes. That's, Absolutely. I mean, these things do. I, I just, that's kind of cool. And it does sound like you had a little fan community with your friends for this movie. It's just funny that it eludes me because when I think of summer movies, I do think blockbusters. When I think of the summer of 88, I don't think of Willow, but I probably should because, or should have, it seems like, because it should have been a big movie that somehow fell short. Would you have wanted to see sequels to this? I would have seen sequels to this. Yeah. yeah. I I don't I don't remember the resolution. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of why the movie doesn't have the staying power of a Star Wars or of a Princess Bride. The, the plot is all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so I don't I don't remember if they leave it off in a way that would make it really easy to do some kind of sequel but it's a really cool they did some really good world building and so i think there's some places that we could take it would you want to see a remake of it do you think this is something they could take and do something with differently now that fantasy has had the big budget treatments of like the lord of the rings and things like that a little respected again in hollywood do you think they could do something with this again or would that be a pointless i think it would be pretty pointless (laughs) because it willow is it's a moment in time and the small fan base i really don't know how big the fan base is but i share your sense that it, it it's not the same as something that's a really strong cult hit or something that is just a monster hit like star wars so but whatever that fan base is I think they're just going to want to see the same movie again. And but then if you make the same movie again, then it's got the same problems again and so it doesn't it's so It doesn't seem like something that's going to be a crowd pleaser. Yeah. So it, it, it's just kind of tough. Would you say that it's a two-headed ebersisk eating its own tail? <laughs> that's the only thing I That was another thing I, I I knew as a child what that creature in the movie was called and that it was a parody. Of Cisco and Ebert. God, I knew all about them making this movie. I should have been a huge fan, but I wasn't. Well, you now should I watch it again. See how f- you feel. See how you feel about it. Maybe, maybe I will. Uh, but thank you, man. Thanks for for kind of turning the conversation to that because it's. I wanted to do a Willow episode. I just didn't know how. So this this worked out. So thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. It was fun. Yeah. And um, so at the beginning of the episode, I mentioned that you do do a couple shows. Anything you want to particularly plug or, or mention right here at this part of the end of our program? Yeah. Thank you so much. So folks can follow me on Instagram at Jarf Harden. 
And like Tim mentioned, there are two podcasts that I'm involved with. I co-created the Cosmic Geppetto podcast with Brad, who was a previous guest. And we bring creators and fans on to discuss movies, especially the Marvel Cinematic Universe, comics, wrestling, genre literature, music, and we support inclusive, positive geek culture. So it's a lot of fun. And you can follow that podcast on Twitter at Cosmic G-Pod or search for Cosmic Geppetto on Facebook and check out our listeners page. And then the other podcast that I produce is Flash Gordon Minute. So that is a movies by minute podcast looking at the 80s cult classic one minute at a time and talking about the music of Queen and then talking about everybody's careers and doing that kind of deep dive that that format allows. And so you can follow that on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod or you can search Flash Gordon Minute on Facebook. And our listeners group for that is the Flash Gordon Minute Listeners Vortex. Awesome. And I, I will link all that in the show notes. But yeah, please, if, um, if you're listening to the show, check them both out. I follow the Flash Gordon uh, Minute pretty regularly. It's three times a week. And it's just it is fun to hear that movie broken down in that sense. That's awesome. But check them both out. Um, also, thank you for checking this show out, 20th Century Popcast. As always, you can visit us online at 20popcast.com. The most recent episode is always up there, as well as links to all of our past episodes. Uh, while you're there, if you want to hear us every week, every time a new episode drops you can subscribe to us on apple podcasts on stitcher.com on google play and some other uh platforms as it is you can also what can you do on that page you can follow us on facebook uh you can follow me on twitter at subcultist you can follow me on instagram at subcultist as well uh but just check out the show check out at 20podcast.com <clears throat> thank you for checking us out today jarf thank you for being here um, and, 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 and hopefully uh, tell you what if you ever find yourself talking Willow on Cosmic Geppetto Podcast give me a call I'd love to I'd love to revisit and talk about it with you guys because I'm curious to at least see why it is I don't remember that movie if nothing else that sounds like a plan and that sounded again really, for... <laughs> was that a demanding plan that was very demanding to invite oneself onto your show I, I can take that back now I feel horrible I no feel we want to have you on the show sometime really it, oh it, great it, and we still have our we still have our Flash Gordon soundtrack versus Highlander soundtrack idea there on the back burner. So we're definitely going to have you on. Oh, well, thanks, yeah, man. Don't, don't hesitate to ask. We would love to have you. And thanks for having me on again. This was a blast. Oh, awesome. And, and I'm trying to, you know, I'm a fan of your show. And so I'm trying to think of a way to really maintain this fun tradition that you and Bob have of bringing the show to a nice conclusion but then having some additional increasingly awkward banter yeah. that, that continues so is there a way that we can do that I think I brought it to a, a, a little bit of a stopping place yeah, I think, <laughs> I think success I'm gonna, you know what? I'll close <laughs> off the show by applauding you and saying success Jarf and thank you Presenting Flash Gordon Minute. 
the only podcast to celebrate and critique the 1980s cult classic, Flash Gordon, one minute at a time. Spectacular adventures await you here on Flash Gordon Minute. Flash Gordon Minute blasts off three times a week from Growler Media. Find it on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, and in the show notes for the episode you just listened to.